Hello and welcome to Wizardology. This is Amir Fasihi. In this podcast, I'll be talking to game industry experts about leadership and teamwork. My guest today is Amir Rao, studio director at Supergiant Games. Amir Rao, thank you very much for being on this show. Yes, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, Amir, before we start and talk about teamwork and leadership, I have to uh, say huge congratulations on the magnificent success of Hades. And um, you guys have done a great job in the past 10 years and have been inspirations for many teams and I would. I wanted to really congratulate you on that before we start. Oh, thank you very much. No, we we really appreciate it. We feel really lucky to be able to um, have sort of stuck together for all those years, and um, the same team that worked on Bastion is uh, is still here. That same core team is still working on all our games, all the way up through Transistor, Pyre, and Hades. So, Amir, let's start with some history. Uh, what was your first leadership role in video games? <laughs> it was uh, it, at Supergiant Games. Um, so my my uh, history in games, uh, I was a level designer at Electronic Arts Los Angeles, where I worked on Command and Conquer 3, Red Alert 3, and the expansion pack for Red Alert 3. Um, I had no leadership role at all. I, was a, I made maps and missions and... Um, uh, worked as a as a kind of content designer there, just on on stuff. I was uh, the most junior designer um, on the team, I think, for, uh, and it was sort of my first game job uh, coming out of school. So, in two thousand nine, I was talking to some um, some some people there and. Um, we ended up starting our own company, <laughs> Super Giant Games, in the living room of my dad's house, um, and we uh, slowly built the team. Is me and the co-founder Gavin Simon, uh, and then we grew from the two of us to seven of us over the course of our first project, Bastion. So, my first leadership role was was Super Giant. I had worked with a lot of inspiring leaders at Electronic Arts. Um, everyone from the production staff, executive producers, producers. Um, one of the producers there was actually Greg Kasavin, who would later be Supergiant's creative director. Um, but I had a lot of good leadership there, and good managers there. And so my first sort of encounter with uh, video game leadership was not as a leader, but just, you know, having served under some really, really strong leaders there. Mm -hmm. That is something that I would like to talk to you about a little mm -hmm. bit further. But, but what was the biggest challenge for you, Amir, when you, from a creative person, when you switched to um, setting up running Supergiant and then you had to do other work other than just level design, what yeah. do you remember your main challenges back then? You know, a lot of the early stuff on Bastion, because the group of us were so strong together, um, and I had worked with some of them before, uh, a lot of the challenge was just coordinating all the different pieces that we were working on. But, um, you know, I did that and made those decisions in collaboration with other people. It wasn't like I had to make them all myself. Um, so a lot of the change was more, I would say, um, due to the size of the team, you know, at EA, our team was like a hundred and something people, I think, um, at its height and, um, and, you know, smaller when it, when it wasn't right before ship or whatever. Um, but, you know, at Supergiant, we were, we were so small. Um, so we felt very fast and very nimble and able to make experiences that were very personal to us. But it also, um, it also meant that we had to be very, very cognizant of our constraints and, you know, as a small team, try to, 
try to make decisions that we could actually achieve and accomplish as a small group and get to all the little things that we wanted to put into the game um, when we were working on our first game, Bastion. Over time, I think my job has changed. So on Hades, you know, on Bastion, I sh made half the levels and tuned all the weapons and upgrades and stuff like that. And Greg made the other half of the levels and Gavin um, uh, did a lot of the game design on that game as well. So three of us kind of were responsible for game design stuff. Um, by the time we got to Hades, um, the team started at 12 and then grew to sort of 17 people, I think, before 1.0. Um, and there was more leadership responsibilities for me, uh, more team coordination, more uh, guidance, um, more reviews of work and that kind of stuff, more typical, I think, sort of game leadership role stuff. But I've always kept my role on the game, so I still tune the game. So. You know, I tune all the weapons and upgrades and progression and um, boons and all the stuff that was in in Hades. And so I think at a small studio, it's really common that you have multiple jobs. And my jobs at Supergiant are game tuning, uh, work coordination and kind of leadership, um, and then... Uh, you know, I, I do less of this now, but it's, you know, it's external, you know, partnership you know, talking to, to people outside the team. Um, so those are kind of the three big areas I had on Hades. And um, I think one of the things that connected me to the leadership work is that I work on the thing alongside the people um, who also work on it. So there's, um, I, I get to do creative work that I really, really enjoy. And I've refined uh, what I do on the game to be a smaller and smaller piece of it, but it's still a piece of it that I really, really like. So a lot of my um, leadership growth has been in taking the pleasures that I have working on creative and design work and and trying to apply that point of view um, to leadership because leadership doesn't have to be non-creative in some way. It doesn't have to be a set of responsibilities that um, pulls you away from the work you want to do. It can, it it's possible that those things don't have to be in competition, or at least I hoped that they didn't have to be in competition. And so a lot of my own growth as a as a leader or as a person working on games with really, really strong peers has just been in understanding what I'm supposed to be doing and how I and how to do it. And how to do it in a way that's creatively fulfilling. Mm -hmm. How important do you think it is for a game studio leader to do actual creative work also? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think probably that's impossible for teams of a certain scale. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I would hesitate to say it's important that any studio be have a certain composition or have a certain methodology. My own view on this is that um, I feel like I only really have opinions about what to do on smaller teams, even though I've worked on, on bigger ones. So, you know, for me, the, with a small team, what's been really important is just to um, make sure that whatever we're doing is specific to the people who are doing it. So we don't, um, we don't, for example, make games by coming up with an idea and making sure we have the people to do them. We make games that are based on the strengths of the people there and their preoccupations and interests and stuff like that. So um, that means also our processes and our leadership kind of point of view has to be idiosyncratic to the people that are there. It's based on the small group of people that are there. So what's going to work in one place or the type of leader that one place is going to need among a really small group is going to be really different among another small group because they all have come together for different reasons and have different values and different relationships and different chemistry. Um, so I think whatever it is you do needs to be really specific um, to that group and how that group likes to work and how that group does its best work. And because we've worked together over multiple games now at Supergiant, um, I would say even the stuff we did at the beginning is quite different than the stuff we do now. Um, and that's not just due to the growth of the team size, but just we change as people. And so we kind of reorganize how we work on every project. Um, the level of, you know, design or technical work I do is much lower than it used to be before, but it's also, uh, it's also much more specific. So it's, it's a way, it's an example of a way that we've reorganized on every, on every project. 
who have probably found the most important parts of the game where you can have the biggest impact, maybe maybe via experience. Huh? Yeah, I think that's true. I think also I found something that makes sense. So the thing about tuning as a design craft is that you just really just have to keep playing the thing over and over and over again. And so a lot of my work is review of other people's work. And so uh, it gives me an opportunity to kind of do multiple things at once where I can try different stuff. You know, in a game like Hades, I can go start a run over and see if it's coming together in some way. I can jump into a save game where someone has provided me an iteration on, on a boss battle. And um, I end up just finding so many things and so many issues in my own work um, that it, it ends up being like a really efficient process as, as, a, as being the thing I do. As opposed to, um, and I think we've all felt this as leaders sometimes, or just people who work on games, where you have jobs that are very dissimilar, like the type of work you do in one area is actually can be quite unrelated feeling to the type of work you do in another. And it's not to say I don't have those things, you know, like we still have basic company stuff where, you know, I'm l l signing contracts or reviewing something more operational that has less to do with the work on the game. But um if you can start to uh, bring them together or bring them under the same perspective or point of view, suddenly when your mind is working on problems in the background, it's kind of like working on everything. Um, so there's a kind of efficiency that can be gained out of that over time, which can be pleasurable also. How do you divide your time, Amir, uh, between creative work and being a leader and talking to others and attending to others? Do you have specific routines for that or is it more ad hoc as things come by? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a system. Um, I think uh, it's just it's always been based on the contour of the project where we are. You know, there's times when stuff really needs a review more than it needs me to go into the game and tune it, or there's times when people really need more interactions or or someone to work through their problems more um, with them, or there's times when you, um, you know, the best thing you can do is answer an email. Um, that'll be the most important thing for the whole team is to get back to someone <laughs> um, on a question they have from outside the team. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, the, prevailing feeling I have and maybe people who have multiple roles on a team can relate to it is that I always feel like I'm doing some job to the level it needs to be done but some of these other roles are maybe I'm doing them in a less engaged way um, and maybe it's okay for the part of the project that we're in that I'm doing them in a less engaged way but um, if part of your work is leadership or coordination or production or any of those things you probably there's probably always something you can be doing um, but that's also true of design and that's also true of everything. Um, so uh, I wouldn't even say it's a balance because I guess what I'm describing is it's actually quite out of balance at any given moment. It's quite, it's quite uneven. Um, I'm not doing equal parts of it, but maybe over the course of a year or something I am. Um, so it's, uh, it's just the case that sometimes I'm really in one space or really in another. Are you a good motivator for your team? It's a good question. I I think that um, <laughs> you know you you would probably have to ask them. You know, probably the the, <laughs> yeah. the for me, I think at Supergiant, I'm lucky to work with people who are very self motivated, and I'm part of a leadership team, so I'm not the only leader. Um, you know, the the people who have been there from the start are still part of leadership here. You know, whether it's art leadership or technical leadership or uh, creative leadership or any of those types of things. So I'm very lucky because I don't have to figure out all the problems myself. I just am a, a part of the solution and a part of bringing the right people together to, to help figure things out. We're a really problem solving oriented studio. When it comes to motivation, I think we tend to be surrounded by people who are really, really self-motivated. And so, um, you know, it's more the case that um, it's, it's less, sorry, it's less the case that there is a motivational um, sort of uh, component to the work, I would say, which could also mean I'm ignoring the motivational component to the work or something like that, or maybe I'm not as engaged with it. But um, from my perspective, the a lot of 
like I'm surrounded by people who excel at solving problems in creative ways. Um, so a lot of what I end up having to do, I feel like, or what I view my role as is making sure we're just like looking at the right things in the right order. Um, and so, you know, the, the group as a group and as individuals is highly motivated to, to kind of work together and iterate on stuff and all that kind of thing. So, um, it feels really uncommon. I think that our leadership has to provide motivation. It's very common that our leadership has to still provide um, inspiration or guidance or something like that, where we have to talk about what we're trying to achieve or what the goals of a project are, or what the goals of a system or a feature might be. But even that is collaborative because um, the team is too small for people not to find something that they love in the game that they then want to achieve in it or reflect on it. And um, some of that can come from us, but it really has to come from them um, because um, for a project on a small team to feel personal and like people made it and for someone to get kind of wrapped up in their own creative problems, it really has to come from within more than someone give it to you. Um, and so we're quite lucky to have a team that's I think highly motivated um, and good at bringing their influences and perspectives to problems um, or good at finding the thread in there that's interesting for them. Well, that's a very important thing that you said, um, having a team that are self-motivated, probably the best thing that any team can have. But um, as uh, I, I have studied about your company and you, many of the um, team members are people that you knew from long time ago. So you brought them all in. And it's very important. Apparently you have seen something in those people and thought to yourself, these are going to be good teammates for my team. And you brought them in, right? What are some of those things that you see in people you saw in, in your fantastic team members or things that are you might be looking for today if you want to add new people to your team which, well, one of the advantages of, of that or one of the things that you see in them is probably this, this self-motivation and this fire inside to do something. But, but how do you see this? What, how, how are you able to select this team? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, I'm going to give probably a really non-answer to this, which is I think in, in almost, I think it's, I think it would be really hard for me to say, here are the qualities that we look for in a team member and say like, oh, it's it's these three things. And then we try to see that reflected in all the people who 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 have joined or have um, have kind of come back to us. Um, what actually I've seen is more that here are people that I valued personally, the original members of the Bastion team. Um, and they're people that I connected with personally and I thought were extraordinary talents. Like our audio director, Darren Corb, I've known him since I was like eight or something years old. Um, and same with Logan, the principal voice actor for all of our games, who was, who was the voice of the narrator and Bastion and, and other key roles, voice of Lord Hades and stuff. I've known them since I was young. I've always known them to be talented artistic people. And so when I thought to do something that had creative at any kind of creative thing, I thought of them immediately because I love them, I'm friends with them, and I also think that they're really, really talented. So, you know, that's true of the people who I worked with. Like, you know, I I worked with Gavin at EA. I knew he was really good. I'd worked on a ton of problems with him. I knew his perspective was totally different than mine, um, and and really, and that it worked together really well. You know. Often we, we want people who have a different point of view than us, but the key thing is we want people who have a different point of view with us that we can still communicate with um, and have that kind of like bridge any of those gaps. And so um, I just, I feel really lucky and blessed to have, have sort of known so many talented people. And, you know, the leap when you do this is, so I like this person or I love this person or I see the value in them. Now will the others. And um, 
we've been really lucky that we've been able to make that work, that this same sort of core group of us has been able to make that work for so long. Um, so, you know, that, that part is great and, and, and it not to be taken for granted for sure. The, the other part of course, is that, um, in any position beyond that, I think you have to, you have to, again, it has to be specific specificity. It's hard to say, oh, quality of a super giant employee is this, that, or the other thing. It's like, it's, you know, position dependent. It's the type of work we're looking for. It's, um, it's just, it, it changes so much depending on, on where we are. So we hire so rarely that, um, you know, sometimes people ask, you know, what's your hiring process? And it's like, we don't have one because <laughs> we kind of reinvent it every time we kind of, you know, we have hiring rituals, like we have a way we like to do it. Um, but it, we don't have a hiring process because each position is a little bit unique. So each position we're sitting there and asking ourselves, what do we need? Because it's usually a thing that someone has done here at the studio, but now we need more help doing it in a specialized way, or it's something new that we haven't done. And then we think about it a little bit differently. Um, so, um, back to the to the small group of us on bastion i think part of what we you know part of what we're we're doing is seeing does that collaborative chemistry work with a group of people with a bigger group of people and for us bigger is you know when we went from 7 to 12 on transistor and pyre and then you know 12 to to 17 or i think we're 19 now on on hades so can we as people who have this chemistry and have the shared respect and trust and who get excited by each other's work, can we, can we grow that a bit? And I think the answer to us on Hades was yes, we, we can <laughs> when we include these voices and if we include them in a deliberate and slow way, um, they can help us make a game that we couldn't have done otherwise and that they can, they can come and be part of the fabric of what we do. So I can say that the overwhelming feeling there is it's really hard to say how do you select for that, but I think it's more clear how you know that it's worked, which is down the line, you look back and you say, I don't know how we would have done that without them. And everyone who worked on Hades, I can say that for, you know, for sure. And so it's one of those things where, um, you know what the what it feels like when you get it right, um, but you it's really hard to say for me at least. Oh, it's these qualities or these traits that we select for and that create good chemistry here. It's just it's sort of unique in every case. Would you say this was a trait that you always had, um, being a people person, knowing understanding people, or was this something that you kind of learned throughout the years and as you worked? Because usually. Um, game developers are either gamers, introverts, they're very geeky style, not very much into, you know, thinking about people, thinking about leadership, thinking about who is the best teammate. But what was your story? So I guess for me, it comes back to, um, I, I've always had a really close group of friends and actually Darren is one of those friends, you know, people I've played D and D with since I was really, really young and I still play D and D with them you know, on, on every week, that group of friends was really, really vital to my whole life and experience. And, um, so I think I've always been someone who's been really, really, um, attached to small groups and, you know, to some of those D and D concepts like, uh, <laughs> you know, party balance and, and a mixture of personalities and a mixture of classes and a mixture of, of ideas and things like that. And so, um, for me, I, I wouldn't say like, oh, I have a trait or a talent or I can see something um, that makes it work. It's more that I have a lot of practice with um, being in a small group and having that define you. And I think what's so amazing about that friendship is not just the depth of the love we all have for each other and how much, you know, we, we hang out and even that I was able to, you know, I work with Darren and, you know, I work with Logan and all this kind of thing. Um, but also that, um, that it sort of evolves, you know, that it survives growth. People change a lot over time. You change a lot since you were 
you know, eight years old. Um, so, um, but in every era, the friendship worked and made sense. You know, when we were in high school, it made sense. When we were in college and we weren't all living in the place, same place, it made sense. When we became adults, it made sense. And, you know, now some of us have kids and long-term relationships and, and it made sense. And, you know, now even with separation through the pandemic, it makes sense and it works. And so um, that type of survival through evolution is also similar to Supergiant. I would say we're pretty different people than we were that when we started the company and it still works and makes sense. Uh, why, why, I don't know, or how, I don't know, but it does. You were always lucky with the perception dice. Huh? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Check there. Yeah. <laughs> Amir, do you, do you miss, do you ever miss doing more creative work? Usually when um, indie teams form their teams, the leaders, well, they will have to do a lot of other things, but sometimes they are not usually interested in those other things. But some of them find new joy in doing other things, dealing with people, being a leader. How about you? Do you miss doing more creative work or are you very satisfied with what you're doing? No, I'm very, I'm very happy. Part of it is because I, I still do a lot of that work, right? I still do design work. I still um, work with work on the game directly and I still, you know, change numbers and adjust traits and, you know, smash things together and experiment with stuff in the game too. So I feel still very connected to the creative work. And for, for me, a lot of what I think about with some of this stuff is um, these things that we consider in conflict. Is there a way that we can consider them actually just like as part of one thing or, um, part of a whole. So uh, design work is creative. There's no question that it's creative. It, it can occupy your mind and you can come up with lots of ideas and you can be working on design problems in the background. And sometimes it's a grind and you just try stuff and try stuff and try stuff. And sometimes it feels like you do have those aha moments where it's like, oh, this is the way in to this idea. You play something and you say, this is the way into that idea. But I don't think leadership or management responsibilities have to be some other thing that doesn't feel creative and doesn't feel interesting and doesn't feel compelling and doesn't necessarily use the same parts. I think that we sometimes feel that we're being pulled away from the work that we were called to do or that we got that we got into this for, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. Um, it, can, it, can, it can be true that it's part of your growth um, or your path or something, um, that it includes more of these other things and less of the first thing. Now, it doesn't mean that some people don't miss doing more of the work that they used to do or any of those types of things. I think it's completely natural. Me personally, I don't necessarily feel that way because I don't feel like I've been pulled off of the thing really that I was um, called to do. I think I've actually specialized more and more and more into the thing that I'm good at and discovered what that is, um, which is more on the game tuning, game feel, you know, how many, how many invulnerability frames does our dash give you type of work. Um, um, and alongside, you know, using that same perspective and same point of view to make sure that we're collaborating well together and growing well together and that we're all, um, headed down a, a path together that works for everyone on the team. Are you also a good manager with budgeting, times, tasks, those kind of things? Yeah. yeah. So again, that's where it's really good that I have, you know, I was a literature major. So, um, <laughs> so it's really, really, really good that, um, you know, Supergiant has Gavin Simon, our co-founder and development director, and Andrew Wang, our, our technical director. Um, they're, you know, they're, they do more of that type of work of, of figuring that out. Um, but it's the type of thing where um, the leadership body at Supergiant is a collaborative, is a collaborative group that has, you know, our creative point of view, our artistic point of view, um, our, our, you know, technical point of view. So it, it represents what a game team is. You know, it represents what makes a good game, which is all these perspectives. And then it's that in the leadership also. And so, um, so yeah, a lot of the 
other parts of this, like, yeah, budgeting and finances and operational stuff is more learned stuff. It isn't like uh, something that we had a ton of practice doing necessarily before, um, but it's also quite, um, it's quite straightforward. <laughs> the goal of budgeting is to not run out of money before the project ships. Um, so there's, there's some, uh, there's some sort of, those things are almost simpler than, or at least seem simpler to me than some of the, for a, for a really small team than some of the things you end up having to figure out on the game or, or those types of things. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, I would say that, you know, we get that stuff done um, kind of as a group and we figure it out as a group. Mm -hmm. So you have help in your party to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, are the games at SuperJS that you guys have uh, published, uh, created and uh, released, have all had a a very good balance between creativity and on the other side, you have always delivered almost in, almost in every three years, almost, right? Maybe a little bit less than that sometimes, but you have delivered, so you have been very productive and you have had creativity. And this is the biggest, maybe one of the biggest challenges in game development in general, creativity and productivity. How can you balance them? How might one of them not sacrifice or maybe you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. How do you go about this? What is your idea about this topic in, in making games? And what was Supergiant's magic for doing this? Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 every game has been so different from each other. So I don't know if there's so, something that, uh, I'm trying to see, see if there's a theme. The, the thing I would say is, you know, we did have games that had really long exploratory pre-production, like, um, you know, Transistor and Pyre both had pre-production periods that were over a year where we we're trying to figure out the game and trying to figure out what the play was and what the aesthetic was and what the character was. And they had these long processes where we we slowly worked our way to to, to those answers. Something like Hades had, a, had like a nine-month pre-production um, because it was defined more of that was sort of defined up front and there was less exploratory um less or there was stuff to figure out and stuff to find out it just could be done in a faster and more economical uh way so each of our games has had a different contour in terms of how long has pre-production been how long has production been how long has um you know only hades had early access so how long was our early access period right so i think for us we look at them all pretty differently uh i would say that the the key value that helps us guide a lot of this is that we we really do try to embrace the constraints that we have and the constraints we have as a small team and we try to follow our own rules on a lot of this stuff um so that um we stay on track it usually means that we you know we have we get into a rhythm and and we and we uh follow that rhythm and we follow the rules we set for ourselves you know we're our own publishers so some you know it's only us telling us that something has to be ready at a certain time or should be ready at a certain time or or those types of things. But we look at, you know, those types of deadlines that one might set for themselves. It's a type of creative mercy because it it lets you ask yourself a hard question, which is which of these things are working and which of these things aren't. Is the thing you're looking at really something that needs more time to reveal itself or is it actually just had a bunch of chances to come together and it's not coming together. And, um, you know, we have to be, um, you know, ideas are fragile, so you need to grow them over time, but you also need to be clear on, on your own, uh, on your own work when you get to the point where you want to evaluate it. And we sort of set up those times for ourselves too, of like, Hey, let's try and pull something together for this time. And, you know, at the rate we're going, that seems very realistic. And then let's ask ourselves, you know, a couple hard questions about it um, and make sure that it's doing what we needed to do. We we have a lot of, um, we're very lucky because we have been able to self-fund our games and self-publish them. So the process I'm describing is possible because we don't have someone else telling us that it needs to be a certain way at a certain time. So I think what you're seeing is the combination of a small team 
that you know grew together over time that learned how to embrace the constraints that the small team had while also having a ton of independence and self-determination to figure those things out and to learn the hard way on some of those things and and that kind of thing and not every you know that's a rare thing we're very lucky to have that um and so you know we self sort of we're able to have self-fund the first project and have every project fund the next one so it's uh it's really fortunate and really rare to 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 be in that position and we feel very lucky that we were able to 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 do that basically and yeah i mean you know we we um how you know how we make the decisions on you know how long should pre-production be or how long should production be and all that kind of stuff it's all a response to the last thing we did in a lot of ways we try and look at the learning from the last thing and say what did we learn how do we want to change it or you know because this new game is a certain way how does it need to change and so we we just figure that out together do you follow a strict pre-production process where after that you say, okay, we have started production now, no more new ideas. Is it like that or? No, it's not, it's not really like that. Like the, again, it's different for every game. Um, Transistor and Pyre, they had a pre-production that, that finished with like a level that, and same with Bastion actually, that was shown at PAX, you know, it's like 20 or 25 minutes of gameplay or something like that. And then we still had to make the rest of it. So it had a full sort of finished feeling thing. And that was kind of the process for those games. On Hades is really different. Um, on Hades, because of the roguelike structure and 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 because of early access, uh, our pre-production was used to answer a bunch of questions about the tone in the world and the and the and the systems and how exactly we were going to structure our our room to room uh, roguelike. And with those questions answered, we moved quite quickly into production and then quite quickly into into our early access. So it was 15 months from ideation to early access, basically, for Hades. And um, that is shorter than the pre-production periods for the previous two games. Um, so it shows that there isn't really like a process or a timeline or something that can that we can say like this is how this is the formula for us. It's just, it was structured based on what we were trying to achieve in our pre-production. Um, and so, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's it's less that it's um, highly structured. I think more it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, pre-production has is some mix of like creativity and honesty, right? Like the, the, um, the type of work you need to do to find the things you need to find and find the answers to the big questions you have while also being honest on if you found them or not. Um, because then you have to make the rest of it during production, at least that's the case for us. Um, and in Haiti's case, it was, we had to make the rest of it during production and then early access. And many ideas happened during our early access. Um, like the whole structure for the end game and weapon aspects were not anticipated as part of Haiti's design when we started it, but it, became very important to Hades design when we came came time to structure the end game and iterate on the Pact of Punishment. Um, many ideas that were in Hades were anticipated before early access began, including, you know, things like what we imagined the ending would be and all these other types of components and some of the Olympians were, we're going to include and, and, and stuff like that. But um, Early access did adjust our plans, like it reordered them in some cases. And over the course of the early access, we did come up with ideas that I don't think we ever would have done had we not seen how people were playing the game and how deeply they were playing it. And suddenly we knew we could do things like introduce big systems in the game, like quite deep into the game and people would actually find them. That would have been probably too bold of a decision for us <laughs> at the start of our early access because we didn't know how much people were going to play it or how deeply they would play it or how that loop would would feel and so early access really did change our our process a lot and um, there were definitely ideas that came up over over the course of of the early access so on this topic continuing on this topic decision making is really important and a good game development studio is probably makes probably 
great games because of all those small decisions that are made on a daily basis. Uh, to those that are listening to you, what is your suggestion for a team for making the proper decisions for their games? How, how would you say, what are the important factors? What has worked for you guys? Yeah, I can speak to what we do or what works for us, which is um, for us, like uh, I said earlier, we're a very problem-solving oriented team. So we are very good at collaboratively solving problems, which means it's really, really good to end up having a set of well-understood, agreed-upon problems before you start solving them, even if you suspect you have a solution. Um, and a lot of creative ideas are actually the kind of the solution before the problem. Um, but it's it's one of those, and, and those can be great too. It's not that those have no value. Those are valuable too. Um, it's just one of those things where, at least when it comes to the design and gameplay components, we really we really view ourselves as problem solving. So this goes back all the way to our early history. Like with Bastion, for example, we wanted an isometric game where there wasn't a minimap on the screen all the time because there's something about navigation in those isometric games that felt like you just always had the map open or you always had the map open at double size so you could tell where you were. And um, that is what gave rise to you know Bastion taking place in a destroyed world where the land would come up as you started walking. Um, and that was an idea, I believe, that Gavin had. Um, and we tried it, and it solved that problem and introduced new ones, and then we solved those problems. <laughs> and so it was, uh, you know, it was an example of our sort of loop of iteration and problem solving in a creative way. And for us, that's part of what anchors us in the universe of the game we're making. We also tend to do almost everything in game. There isn't like long, elaborate documentation about how everything is going to come together and work together. And so um, that really helps if you have a problem-solving perspective because you can look at the problem together in the video game that you have, um, whether it's with gray box art or whatever. And so, you know, we start making stuff and we start solving problems and we come to new problems and we start solving those and, and we iterate on our solutions and we know what solutions we've tried. We look at what other games might be doing uh, who have, who have solved similar problems and we just kind of, uh, build and build and build from there. Sorry about that. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that every team should be problem solving focused or anything like that. That's actually just what we, that's just sort of what our, our DNA has been. I think that there are lots of good ways to come up with good game designs that are not this um, and to come up with good systems and good creative work that are not this. Um, this is just the way that we've tended to do it. Right. Uh, Amir, you you mentioned you have never had any formal leadership training or management training, right? But have you ever had good mentors that you really learned from and you had interactions with to yeah these kind of things? Yeah, I have, and you know, I've I've definitely um, been proactive in trying to improve my leadership um, in different ways. You know, the starting point for me is that I had, I did have really good leaders. You know, I had um, the uh, a leader at EA is a ex executive producer who later became the GM of the studio, Mike Verdue, who has always been very kind since I started my super giant journey to, to sort of, you know, give me context. He's someone who always led, um, kind of with compassion and with honesty and directness, and um, I, I often. You know, I really valued that. I actually don't think I necessarily have a similar style or anything to Mike, but I just always found the way he listened and um, the way he was direct and honest um, without, while also being kind of empathetic to be like a almost shocking <laughs> set of traits. Um, it's, it's really, really rare that you can have someone who combines kindness and directness it's a type of thing that i think is like really 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 strong as a as a set of traits um especially for a big big team like we were um so yeah um i think about you know uh, mike verdue uh i had a manager uh named Ofer Esling, who was one of my managers at ea and i had i had other 
great, great managers at EA too, who spent a lot of time in our one-on-ones helping me collaborate better with the people I was working with. Um, uh, and I think a big part of that is just, um, you know, when you first enter uh, any team, knowing how it works, knowing how it's structured, knowing how people are supposed to work together, that's just something that um, is really, really important. And so I had, and then I was surrounded, those leaders, I had tons, there was tons of great producers there, you know, Amir Jami and, and Greg Savin, who was ended up over at, at EA and, and, you know, just different people there who um, showed different leadership skills, I would say, and different like ways of doing it. Um, and Jill McDonald and some others too. Um, um, I worked very briefly with Shannon Studsill, who was the, who uh, was the studio director at Sony Santa Monica for many years on the God of War franchise and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where they all had a different style and they all did it in a different way. They all had a different set of qualities and traits, um, but were all very memorable for me, at least, to to see how they thought about things and how they did things. Um, and uh, yeah, they're just uh, as leaders. They all they all were were a type of inspiration for me for sure. Um, even when I really felt and still feel today that I can't do some of those things. Um, it's just good to know that they could be done. <laughs> uh, someone could do them. And that's, that's a nice feeling yeah. too. At least you know it. I would yeah. say it's a good idea for indie teams to have some prior industry experience in larger teams first, because this is a question many teams have. I mean, I don't think it's, necessary it it will give you a point of view that's like you know the point of view a lot of us have from supergiant which is you know what is it like to work on a big team and then what is it like to work on a small team that isn't a necessary point of view i don't think um there are so many great games that were made by people making um making projects either by themselves or in a small group or or whatever who have never worked on a giant team and the the stuff is amazing. So I would say there's definitely no formula prescription there. I would never uh, tell someone, oh, you should take, you should take a certain path or you should take our path or whatever. Um, you know, we started Supergiant so long ago. Um, it was in 2009. The whole industry and the landscape of everything was very, very different than it is today. And so, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it'd be really hard to say, do this or do that, or you should do this or you should do that. Um, cause, cause, um, it feels almost like there are more paths than ever, um, that one could take. Uh, but it also, you know, seems as competitive as it's ever been and as hard as it's ever been. So it's, it's, uh, it's just a combination of, of, you know, the next great teams and the next great games from developers we've never heard of, you know, they're they're definitely not all going to take the same same road there. Sure. So if you go back and meet the 18 year old Amir, what will you tell him today? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I was, um, you know, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with obviously how how uh, things are going and how things are, are turned turned out and and all of this type of thing. Um, certainly there's a lot of um, learning that had to happen over time. Um, so I don't know that I would, uh, I don't know that I have a piece of advice. I would sort of let 18 year old me figure out all the things that <laughs> I had to figure out because um, it was part of my path and my journey to get to where I am. So what is your advice for those who are just going to start or or those who are going to be new leaders, aspiring leaders? What should they expect? Yeah, I mean, for me, this 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 is um, what's what is so great about now is that there are so many ways to get started, Um, whether you want to work on a specific craft or whether you want to make a whole game yourself. There's so many tools out there and kind of tutorials and videos and instruction and examples of ways to get uh, going on games. And so what's so good about that is if you think about it from a learning perspective, 
it's it means that um, you can learn in a month or a year if if games if game development if the making of games is a hobby for you or is a calling for you or is a job for you or or is you know or or somewhere in the middle of all this and um, and what parts of that might be appealing to you uh, whether you're you know, very young or you're making a switch from another career or any of those types of things. I think that's what's so great about now is there's just a lot of ways to get started in a lot of different areas. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things I would say that Hades um, was built on is like, as a team, we felt like we had learned over the previous three games what we are good at and what we are, what we can do really well. And so Hades is the expression of a lot of the things that we're very good at as a team um, or that we've learned stuff about as a team. Um, and I feel like that learning process for any individual could start as soon as they feel sort of emotionally prepared and have time to, to, to begin trying stuff um, and to see, uh, see where they might fit in games and, um, you know, take the next step from, learning about themselves and what they're engaged with and what they like to do in it and the types of things they like to make to, can they find like-minded people? And then suddenly you have a team, you know, um, and, and on and on you go. Mm -hmm. Amir, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom. It was great talking to you. Do you have any final comments? No, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's great to reflect on these topics and to think about them more and, I appreciate your thoughtfulness in all the questions and, and, um, and this is clearly a subject, oops, this is clearly a subject that you think about a lot. So I, I, I appreciated um, the opportunity to, to reflect on all that stuff with you. Amir Rao, thank you very much for being on this program. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.